If I say Victorian London, you probably start to think about a certain drug-addicted violin-playing master detective on Baker Street. Give me the most abstruse cryptogram, the most intricate analysis, and I'm in my proper atmosphere. Or a sinister Jack the Ripper, lurking around in the shadows in the dodgy alleys of East End. Or maybe you start to think about endless brick buildings, huge factories, eternal smog, steam and steel, and poor, hungry, barefoot, orphan children running around in Charles Dickens' novels. Victorian London was all of that, and more. And we've seen many adaptions of novels set in that period and place. There's something about Victorian London that is, well, simply fascinating. But our time's fascination with that era has also spawned a different kind of genre, where that classic smoggy crowded industrial urban late 1800s setting is mixed with classic fantasy elements, where magic and fairy tales walk hand in hand with historical facts. And one of the very best examples of this trend is Amazon Prime's amazing series Carnival Row, where Orlando Bloom plays a detective who investigates crimes in a city called The Burg. If you go after them, they'll come for all of us. The whole row will burn. Clearly inspired by a smoggy old Victorian London. Except for the fact that humans live side by side with fairy tale creatures. Goodbye Kansas delivered VFX for the second and final season of this great series. So let's learn a little more about that fascinating world. Today, the yellow brick road is shrouded in steam and mysteries, and it leads straight to Carnival Row. Hello everybody, I'm Nils Lagergren and this is your favorite little friendly neighborhood podcast, Yellow Brick Road, a podcast about movies, games and visual effects. Yes, today we're going to dive into the amazing world of Carnival Row, Prime Video's atmospheric and wonderful fantasy tale. And here to help me are three distinguished guests from Goodbye Kansas, who all worked on the VFX production for the second and final season of that series. Executive producer Matilda Olson, VFX supervisor Joel Lindman, and animation guru Stefan Lindberg. Welcome. Thank you. So nice to have you here, all of you. Uh, Stefan and Matilda, you've been here before, but Joel, this is your first visit. Yes. Yellow Rick Road. So let's start with a classic question. How did you end up in this wonderful industry? Uh, so I started uh, as a 3D generalist uh, at a commercial, doing commercial VFX. Uh, and then pretty soon I went into VFX supervising uh, in the same business, but uh, was a very small company. So then I maybe I worked there for 12, 13 years or something uh, before I went into episodic. Uh, and uh, worked at ILP as a VFX supervisor for two years uh, before finally arriving to JBK. Coming home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now I work as a VFX supervisor at uh, JBK. Let's throw ourselves into this wonderful series, uh, but let's start with some basic facts. Can I have some appropriate background music, please? 
Carnival Row is an American fantasy TV series created by René Echevarria and Travis Beecham, based on Beecham's unproduced film script, A Killing on Carnival Row. Echevarria and Beecham also served as executive producers, together with Mark Guggenheim, John Amell, and Orlando Bloom. Producer was Gideon Amin. The first season was released on Amazon Prime Video in August 2019, and the second season premiered in February 2023. The list of production companies include Amazon Studios, Legendary Television, Okay, so what's the series about? Um, so the series is set in a Victorian fantasy world. Uh, it's about a human detective that falls in love with a fairy. <laughs> and then we have a bunch of mysterious murders and a lot of politics on top of that as well. Um, and since it's a fantasy world, we obviously have a lot of like monsters, creatures, characters like our favorite thing to work with as well. <laughs> so how did you get in contact with the series? Um, what did your pitch look like? Well, we actually started working on the show in season two. Uh, we were approached by the VFX producer um, and he had followed our company for a while. Uh, and I think he was looking for an opportunity to work with us. So he was looking for new vendors and he reached out and... Uh, that's kind of how we got started. <laughs> uh, we do, we did some pitches for it. We did some concepts of creatures starting out, um, which I think absolutely helped us uh, getting the type of work that we did. So mm. thanks you, <laughs> thanks to uh, Chris uh, Brandström for all those wonderful concepts. Yeah. Yeah. Those are amazing. Stefan, listeners of, of Yellow Brick Road already know that you have a weakness for the macabre. <laughs> Was this a series you had dreamt to work with? I wouldn't say I'm necessarily macabre, but uh, <laughs> definitely <laughs> monsters and, and weird things. Uh, yeah, uh, I actually, when we first were approached with this, I hadn't actually heard about it. So, and that might be because in Sweden, Prime was uh, pretty new. Uh, and a big uh, series with Orlando Bloom, you would expect that it was sort of uh, on all the billboards, but it wasn't. So uh, I, I kind of missed that. And but but of course, when I when we were approached and I saw the first images, what they were planning and so on, I I went home and just binged the whole series, and I was like so amazed by it. So. My daughter came home and said, do you have anything fun to look at? Yeah, well, let's look at Conwell Row. And I rewatched it back to back. <laughs> so, yeah, I like it. I, I think it's a very, it's an interesting series. And, of course, it helps that it's a lot of monsters and fantasy creatures involved, yeah. I think. And you, Joe, when did you get involved in um, I think I was involved when uh, JBK got involved in it, yeah. like in the early stages, even at the concepting uh, phase. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I roped you in pretty quickly yeah. on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Goodbye Cancer has delivered a bunch of different effects, uh, and, and uh, in the first episode of this second season, we see how Orlando Bloom's character fights with trolls in an underground fight club. So let, let's start talking about that sequence. How was it made? It was uh, it was a quite interesting thing, I think, uh, how we did that. Because usually when you do VFX and you integrate uh, a character into a scene or a sequence, then you usually just you build uh, the entire set like digitally and you track the camera and everything. 
so it's not it's not really like anything unusual in doing it that way. But what we did, uh, especially in this sequence, was that we did this uh, before even starting with the shot production. So when we went into the mocap studio to shoot the troll, we had uh, everything uh, completely replicated from the set, and we could shoot with the, the digital uh, actor like in real time and see how he was integrating with Orlando Bloom, which was uh, that was quite uh, quite a new experience for me. I think that also was a quite interesting way of using mocap that mm. we that we managed to do a fight sequence with interaction and everything um, where Orlando Bloom was filmed on on set uh, way earlier, and we just had to sort of try to get his motion in there with another actor and just do that until mm. every connection were there and yeah. so on. And, and then, we, of course, we needed to to adjust things uh, yeah, slightly exactly. afterwards. Yeah, exactly. You always do that when you shoot mocap because yeah. you can kind of, even though the uh, client was uh, uh, like uh, remotely on set as well, it's really hard to like know exactly how he's supposed to move. And then yeah. you want to emphasize because we didn't have an actor that was two and a half meters long, no. so you need to sort of add a lot of weight to that character after the fact. Mm. So it's uh, there's and especially when he's sort of grabbing Orlando and holding him in the shirt, then it's, that needs to be like completely mm -hmm. made up after the fact, really. Yeah, yeah, it was tricky and it was a lot of fun, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, also, from a, a keyframing standpoint, that that it it was a lot of keyframing, even though we had everything in mocap, and mm -hmm. so so it was a very rewarding project i think the best of two worlds yeah basically i mean we i think we use the tools the way uh, they should be used i mean really it, it's a really nice character that that troll yeah. uh what, what was the inspiration for the look of it oh. it was me right <laughs> 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 well, we actually received the first uh, concept from the client mm. of the troll. Um, the, 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 the creature in itself was present in the first season also. Mm. So but it was that quite was different. Bit, in it was season. quite different. Yeah. It was more like a dumb uh, troll, yeah. a two meter troll. Yeah. Yeah. It it's been a while since I saw season one, but it was also kept in the background, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the, I think, if I remember this correctly, they wanted to bring it into season two more and have mm. a bigger presence because it was kind of mm. a liked creature from mm. uh, but the creators. In how we developed the look of it, mm. we, it felt like we didn't have to really conform to what it had looked like previously no. in the first season. It should, I mean, I guess they wanted it to look like the same race, but mm. that was basically it. Yeah. And, and this guy was like a brute. He was, the other ones were like dwellers mm. and, and uh, a bit weird. Uh, this one was a brute that was pretty muscular and, and dangerous. And, yeah, and they wanted to add that feeling as well to yeah. the scene. And mm. I don't think it would have worked with the previous uh, no. design of the character. No. You, you wouldn't fear it as much, I think. And you want to you want to feel that Orlando is in trouble yeah. <laughs> when he's supposed to fight this guy. So it needs to look scary. We did a bunch of concepts of it. So we have like a variation uh, of yeah. creatures that all look great. Um, but I think it's it's a good one that they settle on as well. There are so many great monster characters in the series. So let's talk about the werewolf. Uh, the Maroc. The Maroc. <laughs> How did you approach those effects? Well, that was uh, to a degree. It was a 
an inherited asset from mm. another vendor actually that uh, worked on it for the first season. But then uh, what we wanted to do was to kind of update it to what we felt uh, looked the best in the show. So we we did this. We were quite careful, like I think geometrically, but then we worked a lot with the eyes and making it a bit more uh, predatory in appearance. So it's, it feels like we we made quite a difference in terms of the mm-hmm. look of that uh, character. Yeah, I remember we 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 were doing quite a lot with the face. I think yeah, yeah. generally. And I think they wanted to feature it in a different way in season two as well. So yeah. you kind of have to mix up the the design a little bit there as well. And I think we added a lot more weight to it mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that did a lot for the yeah. character itself. So yet another character that you actually developed from the first season. Mm. Kind of took to the next level mm. in a sense. But the throw itself was never 3D in the previous ones. No, I think it was up. like uh, practically done there. Mm-hmm. We've seen many different ways of transformations of, of men to wolves or werewolves through cinema and TV history. The original Wolfman Lon Chaney Jr. in the film The Wolfman from 41 transformed through stop motion in a makeup designed by the great Jack Pierce. And in John Landis' classic An American Werewolf in London from 81, we got, possibly for the first time, see how the actual skeleton of the character changes as it turns into a wolf. Groundbreaking effects created by the great Rick Baker. And in the wonderfully eerie British classic, personal favorite of mine, The Company of Wolves from 1984, directed by Neil Jordan, we can enjoy several different ways of transformation. The best being when the inner wolf grows out of the mouth of the character the huntsman, beginning with the snout and then the entire wolf's head. These effects were created by Christopher Tucker. So when you were creating the werewolf transformation, Maroc transformation yeah. in Carnival Row, uh, were you inspired by any of these old werewolves? Or how did you go about to plan yeah, and design? I think we did a references. Um, yeah, we did. But they, they have sort of like these older movies, they, they are sort of balancing on comedic, I think, very easily. So it's, uh, it's quite a tricky balance to get. Yeah. We wanted to sort of look a bit dangerous and... Uh, scary and uh, painful painful somehow, i right? think that was the key word yeah. that that it, it it was a real transformation things were shifting mm. in in his face mm. and and i think i mean as usual when you do things like that uh, the client wanted us to try something that we hadn't seen before mm. Uh, which is always hard because we've seen it all. <laughs> it's also the fun part, right? It is. It when is. you get to be that creative as you well. Get to be creative, and we built a very, very elaborate rig for that, that actually managed to transform all the way from from Darius, which is a character uh, in his human form, uh, to to the Maroc, and uh, with a lot of experimentation and uh, creativity, we managed to, to get that mm. to look. In my view, very painful. <laughs> but but in the, do you then build uh, an animation rig that that can go from one face to another, or, or? Yeah, I mean, we could use several techniques to do that. I mean, of course, uh, if we want to get technical here, uh, we we can do it with uh, the the broader strokes, like human to werewolf with a slider, basically. But that wouldn't look very interesting. Uh, but but we can could match the geometries so that they they could do that transformation. 
but then of course we wanted to do shifting in the whole skeleton and and facial features and so on ears everything and and all the things has to go uh, a bit offset so that you don't get an even transformation you have yeah. things popping and and so on so it was a very, as I said, very elaborate setup for doing that. So we, I base, I think we used all the tricks in the book. Yeah, and I think maybe like from a production standpoint, how you do these kind of things, which it wasn't really, it wasn't really done as a setup that could uh, could that to to enable us to do transformations in many shots. No, like it was pretty much like a like a beauty sculpt of those uh, those few shots that we worked mm-hmm. on the transformation itself so it's uh, it was it was not like a generic set, uh, thing that will always work in all shots no and, and we we did i think we did two yeah tra- major transformations yeah. and uh, both were done differently mm. uh because of the way the, the shot looked we, we did three yeah yeah, we did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so uh, we had to sort of invent the wheel each time, <laughs> <laughs> and we were. It was also quite nice that we were quite free with uh, how mm-hmm. we were. We were enabled to do the like develop the look of these transformations uh, rather independently of how it's been done previously in the show as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the shot that I have seen before is uh, more like silhouette maybe or almost like morphing a bit. Yeah, and and uh, I think it's. Uh, p- uh, I, I don't know if it's the artist side or the, the sort of client side that are a bit afraid that it would look cheesy and so on. And we were head on. We we said we can do this and we, we want to do this as graphic as possible. And uh, I think we managed to do mm-hmm. that actually. Do you have a, a favorite transformation from, from film history? It doesn't have to be werewolf. Just great transformation. Uh, I think, I mean, the fly. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's very impressive to see what they did in the earlier turn, a bit part of, of the 19th, uh, the 18th, sorry, the 20th century, um, where they didn't have, first off, they didn't have the correct knowledge how, of how to do it. They just have to experiment with the, or exposures and stuff. Uh, and uh, so I think. And it also came down to the actor in a very large portion. So like John Barrymore in Dr. Jekyll and Hyde uh, from the 20s, a silent movie. That one is like, you you look at it and like, wow, how did they do that? And I've also seen um, a woman, I don't remember what film that was, a woman that sort of in one take just transforms. And it's like, it's probably the light. So they, she has to make up on, but but the light is so harsh on her, so she, you can't see any details. And then suddenly all the details appears in her face. Isn't that that same technique they used with different filters? For example, in the plague scenes in Cecil B. DeMille's biblical 20s thing. Yeah, yeah probably. So, so with one filter on red or blue yeah. or whatever it was, yeah, you couldn't see that. You know? I haven't read up on, 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 on how they did those, but absolutely. I think they can... They, they had... They weren't stupid back then. They mm-hmm. they were experimental and they were creative and mm-hmm. they used all the tools they could use. My favorite, <clears throat> sorry, my favorite transformation scene is uh, Disney's Pinocchio, the animated one, where, where uh, his friend turns into a donkey, and then they pan over so you see the silhouette of him as he. <laughs> What's he think I look like? A jackass? You sure do. 
But then again, you'd have to mention uh, American Werewolf in London. I think that, that that's the first one where you can really see that it hurts like hell when a skeleton shifts and changes like that. I'm not that much of a fan of wolves, uh, werewolves being wolf like. I mean, I think the America is. What, you don't like uh, Twilight? <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to answer that question? <laughs> no, but I mean, like. Some that, amazing that, transformations in that yeah. one. <laughs> I had a problem with the Company of Wolves because they were like two legged wolves uh, and abnorm wolves, but the human part of it sort of got lost. Yeah. And that's why I like the old ones or, or the one, the, the Wolfman with. Mm. With Benicio del Toro and, and uh, Anthony Hopkins, that one was great. Mm. And of course, it was Rick Baker also doing the all the thing. Makeup. has pretty cool transformations. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> things are happening. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and it looks painful. Something changed. What other effects did you deliver for Carnival Row? So we did a bunch of things actually mm -hmm. um except the tro and the maroc which we already mentioned uh we did quite a few shots with the character sparas which is a main main villain uh in the season um that was um originally and both an asset and work that was done with another studio but just the sheer amount of shots um they And it was also combined with some of our creatures. So we um, had to take over that asset in some few sh um, in a few shots um, to kind of there. There's a spoiler alert. There's a fight between the Maroc and the Sparas. Um, so we worked with that uh, creature as well. Uh, we did a huge harbor sequence uh, in episode seven, which also includes the Sparas and digi-doubles of the fairies, uh, a big city landscape, boats, explosions, that kind of stuff. Um, we also did some uh, minor shots here and there. We had... Um, the molefish yeah. in the yeah. Harrispex shop. Um, and we had like a, a centaur. Um, there was a, a lot of wings, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. So there was a, a good variety of work, I would say. Mm -hmm. It was also fun doing the the fairy digi-doubles because we also got to do that in mocap uh, yeah. with them flying, which was great. Mm -hmm. And there was also How do you do that? You, 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 we were actually using like a new mocap rig on that one, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like so a, our stunt coordinator. Like yeah. Mm -hmm. so I think the way it was done previously in the show, they had uh, uh, harnesses, which is sort of this go-to approach for flying people. But but you don't really get like the correct uh, center of weight in the flying. You're not mm -hmm. carrying the, ca the character in the correct position in the body. So uh, here we tested out a new, like, it's almost like a fork where you attach the actor in the middle of the fork. Uh, and then that can move rather independently. Mm. So that was uh, quite interesting to work with as well. Mm -hmm. well. What kind of actors do you work with uh, in a mocap sequence like that? Preferably uh, pro professional <laughs> mocap actors. <laughs> yeah, and that, that has a background in stunts. Yeah, they know, yeah. How, to, they know how to express uh, stuff in yeah. their bodies. Yeah, really, exactly. In a way like very physical. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, hard to, it's hard to sort of direct it without having someone 
that is used to doing it. Yeah. We have a good group of uh, stunt uh, actors that usually do mock-up for us as well. So they're always our go-to people. Uh, and it was the same here as well, um, which I think helps a lot because they, they know the system, they know how to perform and how to act um, to get the best data out of it as well. So it really helps, I think, to have experienced mocap actors. Yeah. Mm. So... The the shooting of the second season of Conrad Row was well underway and you had started to work and then that annoying COVID pandemic <laughs> hit. How did that affect the VFX production? We had a, it was, had a long pause yeah. in between the first five episodes. Or? Yeah, I think it was the first five. Yeah. Um, so we did we did work for our first couple of episodes um, and then they had to pause. It was in the middle of shooting as well so they had to pause everything they shot everything in in, in prague mm. yeah so so they had to leave yeah go back home. yeah and it took a while before they could yeah. bring it back up again and obviously it takes even longer for us to get the material to work on so it was one of the longest projects we've worked mm. on I yeah think. wasn't it like three years yeah i, I think it was <laughs> i think it was three years in total or something yeah. we were brought in pretty early as well mm. so uh, it's been going on for a long time. <laughs> we even had one uh, um, artist at the company that was working with the Maroc starting the project, left for another company, and then came back before we delivered the show. <laughs> Which I think is a, like, a good idea about how much time <laughs> passed. But Of all these effects that, that you worked on, do you have a favorite shot from all the shots you delivered? Mine is actually the mole fish. Yeah, I, think. Yeah, I like yeah. the mole fish, but I like the troll sequence. And then I like when, uh, uh, this, this is also a spoiler alert, but I really like the transformation when Darius is uh, transforming <laughs> back into a human towards the yeah. end. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah, that's, yeah cool. that's a really nice shot. Yeah. Why, why is that? It just, it just looks very nice. <laughs> and it was... Uh, quite smooth in production as well it just mm. uh, looked good right from the start and we just could spend all the time uh, just massaging it into look, looking as good as possible mm. you rarely see a transformation that way well, like back exactly. it's normally just like a naked man lying on the floor in much too big clothes or mm. something <laughs> no that, I think that's also why it works because yeah. it's, it's yeah. Uh, it, it tells the story clearly but you don't have to see all the details. You've already seen it. You know mm. what's happening. Uh, and, and you see that it, it, it is a dog-like creature that turns around and is human. Mm. And that works so well. I also think it's because it's one of the later shots we worked on. So we worked on the show for a long time. Yeah, and yeah. We developed all the all the rigs and assets and we were so well-oiled in production yeah, by then. Yeah. So I think that also helps. With such a long production... Uh, and then it ends and you have delivered everything does it you feel it empty inside yeah exactly <laughs> no, but it is it's sad to say goodbye to the, all these characters and like it is sad especially yeah. now when it's the last season as well so you know you're not coming back to it yeah of course it's yeah. sad and saying goodbye to clients for that time yeah it's yeah. also that sad yeah someone that you worked close <laughs> yeah. with for a long time uh, it's almost like your colleagues at the same company yeah. because you work so close together. And I also feel that it's it is some kind of vacuum 
when when you work so intensely and mm. it's so you go to war together. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. And it's so supposed to think about something else. Something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the next, next day, day like, like, oh, oh, it's, it's gone. gone. Mm. And, then, then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then again, I mean, um, we finished the show and it took a while for it to to appear on on time. Uh, which also was kind of weird because we're used to that. It is fairly fast, uh, so that you get to reacquaint yourself with it. And now it was like a very long time, so so you kind of forgot things. That could also be yeah. a good thing, though, because you distance yourself yeah, from the work. You will's favorite thing, because yeah, <laughs> you don't want to see the shots yeah, anymore. Yeah, I need to take a step back and come back in five years. Yeah, yeah. see if it was. Yeah, <laughs> this wasn't five years though. But <laughs> no, but I mean, of course, there are painful shots and and things that you know that that uh, were really hard to 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 come through uh, with. Uh, and then when time passes, you feel like, yeah, it it was a tough one, but we mm. did it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> this looks great. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, I know it some, is a some of the that, that I felt that, oh, this, did this, I was like questioning, did this turn out as we expected or was it something completely different? And then when I saw the show, it was like, this is great. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because th there's also the aspect of like, since you're only seeing your shots or your sequences, and then when you see the entire series and everything together, you, you must see your effect in a different light. Oh, definitely. How it blends together. Yeah. Usually you get like some kind of context edit from the client, mm -hmm. but it's uh, quite limited, of course. It's not yeah, and you, no, and you don't see the other vendors' shots no, either. No. Um, shows like these have a lot of different vendors, so um. you don't get to see their progress as much as you see your own, no. and then you see plates, and you're like, oh, how is this going to be mm -hmm. the end? But um, yeah, so it's a whole other experience to see the, the final product, also with the grade and everything. Mm -hmm. It does a lot. Yeah, I, I used to say that that the problem with working with with uh, this is that you get all the spoilers, but you don't get the context. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you still have to understand how things connect and why things happen, but you know <laughs> when things go bad <laughs> for the characters. Yeah, I know. I still have my my favorite moment when I called a client and I was like, are you serious? Is this what's happening? Calm down, Matilda. It's only a dream sequence. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, thank oh, you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I was yeah. like, are you serious? Are you killing off my favorite character? And this is the way you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, don't worry, don't worry, it's a dream sequence. Yeah. Uh, sadly, the, the second season of Carnival Row turned out to be the last one. Um, but are there any other similar series out there that you would like to recommend to our listeners? I would mention uh, the, I would say the contemporary series, Shadow and Bone, uh, that is a fantasy also with a similar kind of Period setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of. exactly. Um, but with a Slavic touch. Yeah, sense. absolutely. But I, I would say that 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 one is a bit more. Uh, it's not as original as Conover Row because Conover Row has some kind of conscience and drives the story from a different perspective than usually when it comes to fantasy. Uh, in fantasy, you always have that big bad guy and and. Uh, you, your heroes that are supposed to sort of 
it's very good and evil, black yeah. and white, light like and dark, and, and like and it's, it's not that. It's like it's multi-layered, and you have all this with with the different races of of fairies, kentaurs, werewolves, and all of them live in a human world and are uh, suffering from that because they are. Uh, it is some kind of racism yeah. that sort of comes through and it's a very current theme it is, yeah. it, is. it feels very current actually so i i, I personally I, I like final road a lot <laughs> I, think it, I think it was a great series uh shadow bone is fun definitely worth watching if you're into fantasy if you're and there's some great actors in it yeah I, yeah absolutely the crows yeah all of them i think are yeah great characters yeah well, thanks so much for coming here. Thank uh, you for having me. Always a pleasure to talk about it. And you out there do see Carnival Row. It's a great series. And thanks for listening. Until next time, a bientôt. Auf Wiederhören. Wiehörsch. Thank you.